Hi everyone, my name's Jerica, and we are so excited that you've decided to spend a part of your Easter with us. I'm just simply inviting you to make a personal decision of faith. Because what, what we do find in the Bible is that there will be a day when each and every one of us stand before God and he says, what did you do with my son Jesus? My name's David Vaughn, and there's nothing like the church when the church is working right. And what a movement of God last weekend here on, this, on these premises, man. Now, I know it feels a tad different. Some of y'all saying, where are those people in the suits, and where are those stringed instruments? Well, hang on. They're probably back again. But if you weren't with us, we had a great attendance, great energy, great life change, both in person and online. But the thing I am most thrilled about was those 38 courageous folks who went all in over the weekend. Unbelievable. Every name has a, every one of those numbers has a name, every name has a story, and every story matters to God. The youngest person that went in last week all in was seven. The oldest person was 79, y'all. Do you know, <laughs> you know what the odds of baptizing a 79-year-old are? I mean, he should start playing the lottery because it doesn't happen very much. That wonderful gentleman found me afterwards, the last one that we did all in. He found me afterward in the changing area. He said, David, I have seen a lot in my life, but I've never seen anything like that. We had fathers and mothers. Yes, amen. We had fathers and mothers baptizing their children. We had parents going all in with their children. We had someone who had been in significant legal trouble decide they needed a life change with Jesus. We had someone who had some deep sorrow from losing children in their family, just submit all of that pain to God for comfort. We had people who had never been on our campus before, 
only watched online, decide this was their moment, and they went all in. A guy named Jerry, who's been only watching us on Star 64, thousands watched that 30-minute program. Now at 9.30 and 10, it's so popular, I'm sure. But anyway, uh, he texted Connor, and he wants to go all in. We had a guy, you'll hear his story later, who makes a lot of pizza here in town, (laughs) make a decision to go all in with his wonderful daughter. We even had a baptism via video from a missionary partner in the country of Jordan at the same time as one of our services. You cannot make this stuff up. So the question now is, now what? Well, let me answer that by asking another question. How often do you change your mind about something? I've been monitoring myself this week to see how much I changed my mind. Like, and I'm going back and forth. Like, are are the Reds for real this year? You know, I started out no, and then it's like yeah, and now I'm not sure. I've changed my mind like seven times about whether there really are five monkeys over there in Price Hill in the St. Joseph Cemetery. Maybe there are monkeys, maybe they're not. If they are, maybe they'll eat all those cicadas that are coming. (laughs) Some folks change their minds faster than Cincinnati weather, which today is proof that it changes quickly. But as we move into the next section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to say this a lot, and we will repeat it a lot. He says this, you need to change your mind. You need to change your thinking on this or that. Jesus had this powerful, but I call it stunningly irritating ability to totally reframe any topic, discussion, or person. Just when you thought You had Jesus figured out, this Christianity stuff figured out. Jesus comes along and he recalibrates how we think about stuff. You've heard this, Jesus said, but I want you to do this. You've been told this, but that's not right. You used to think this, but now I'm going to give you a new way to think about it. As a kingdom follower, this is how I want you, Jesus would say, to think about this person or this subject. And I'm going to challenge you, JT and I are going to challenge you in this series to think a new way, the Jesus way. If you're just coming back from Easter, this is the perfect series for you to get started. If you're just watching online, perfect series to get started. He's going to teach us a new way to think about a variety of subjects. Anger, which we're going to cover today. Adultery, divorce, vows, revenge, and loving your enemies. (laughs) That's the list of what's coming up the next six weeks. Buckle your seatbelt. What a great post-Easter run we're going to have. And I gave JT the easiest ones. (laughs) So since we've gone from graves to gardens, now it's time to build on that. Because here's what Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 20. In case you're with us, we're studying all year just three chapters. Matthew 5, 6, 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Back to the basics. And here's what Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse number 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness surpasses the righteousness of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. By the way, those guys were pretty righteous, at least on the outside. There's a pretty high bar there. Unless it passes that, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. 
Anybody here think that they are pretty good right now? Pretty righteous right now? When you're young, you tend to think that. The older you get, you realize what a lousy human and sinner I am. You have a lot more to compare to. I heard about this, my favorite story about that, this traveling evangelist used to travel and preach. He did every sermon the same way. Is there anybody here perfect? Stand up. He's trying to make a point. Nobody's perfect. Anybody here perfect? Stand up. Nobody ever stood up. Finally, in one of his revival meetings, this guy stood up in the back. He said, baby, you didn't hear me. I'm saying, does anybody here perfect stand up? He said, are you saying you're perfect? No, the guy said, I just think someone should stand up to represent my wife's first husband. <laughs> well, there's nobody perfect. Highly religious people in his day and ours like to focus on the outside. Because that's what makes us think we are holy or godly. And this is very common among those of us who grew up with a, this form of religion that emphasizes the outward but not the inner life. It, for people who are thinking like this, it is the thinking that, and I, I think I succumb to it even in my Christian church, Church of Christ background, it's the thinking that I'm good enough to get into heaven because of what I do, or I must be a Christian because of this or that. Or I must be a Christian because of what I don't do. I don't drink, smoke, cuss, chew, hang out with people that do. That kind of mentality. But Jesus says, hey, folks, you got to change your thinking about this. Because it's not enough. Your righteousness, the Bible says, no matter how good deeds you, you have done in your whole life, it's as filthy rags. It's never enough which is the name of our series, and what we're going to unpack each week. So no matter how good or bad you think you are on the outside, if you're watching here or in the room, your good enough is not good enough. Here's why. Because God knows why you're doing what you're doing on the inside. He knows your motive. The Bible says that man looks on the outside, God looks at the heart. Which is why what you think on the inside is more important than how you act on the outside. It's why God is after your heart. And your mind, because the mind is the battlefield of the soul. When you think about it, every sin starts in the mind. You don't just accidentally roll out of bed and say, I'm thinking, I'll ruin my life today. No, you have to think about it for a while. So in the next six weeks, Jesus is going to give us some radical teaching on how to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. It'll be a series that contrasts what we think, what we have heard, Versus what God thinks. And Jesus has a new and better way to think and therefore to live. What we're going to tell you works whether you even believe the Bible. Whether you even believe Jesus, this stuff works. Count on it. And in the verses I've been assigned today, Jesus is going to ask us to change our thinking about the danger of hate and anger and change our thinking about the extreme value of reconciling a relationship. This is my main goal today, to talk to you about broken relationships. If you're married and you're listening here online or in the room, this message may very well save your marriage. If you're single, if you're dating, these are the kind of attributes, the qualities that I think will help you in your heart, in your life, to have a better dating life, to have a better marriage, to have a better relationship. If you're older, I'm going to ask you to go back and reconcile some things with people that maybe you have been carrying for a long time. And if you are estranged to someone, 
in this church or in your life, I'm asking you to listen and lean in today because what I'm going to tell you may lift a burden you've been carrying your whole life because we are really not good at reconciling estranged relationships. The story of England right now is the story of Prince Philip's passing. I, I never knew him. <laughs> I never, you know, he wasn't my friend. He lived a long time. Maybe it was time to go. That's the story of England. However, years ago, the story of England was Winston Churchill and the ongoing feud he had with Lady Astor. Oh, they were vicious with each other. One time, Lady Astor said to Winston Churchill, if you were my husband, I'd put poison in your tea. To which Winston Churchill replied, if you were my wife, I'd drink it. <laughs> Estranged relationships. This message might very well transform your entire life, so wake up, take some notes. People are going to disappoint you. Could I say that? People are going to let you down. The only person that will never let you down is Jesus Christ. Everybody with skin on is going to let you down. So let me summarize what Jesus is going to say in this message before I read the verses that he says it in. Here's the message. The main point. Quit murdering your relationships. Quit killing them. And as I've said before, if you will just try this, even if you don't believe this Jesus teaching yet, you're still learning. Even if you don't trust this Bible stuff, you don't even trust us as a church, try this and see if what I'm saying is true. So let me dive right in, in chapter 5, verse 21, and here is the first you have heard statement. You have heard, Jesus says in verse 21 here, that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder... And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, I tell you. Now, let me just pause right there. This should not be skipped over lightly. When Jesus says, I tell you something, he means that he wants you to do that something. He has authority. This is a problem in our world. We don't know who has the authority in our life. And so, so therefore, you know who we decide has the authority to decide? Us. We are our own authority. I propose to you that when you're the own authority of your life, you mess up your life. You don't make good choices. There's only been one son of God who rose from the dead. It's not you. It's him. We celebrated it last week. He has the ultimate authority in your life. He created you. He knows you. He knows how you're wired. You may not like it and you may not agree with it, but when he says, I tell you, we should listen and we should do something about it. I tell you, not just don't murder people, if anyone is angry, that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Oh, man. So just not committing murder is not good enough. I know I just helped some of you all. Say, well, David, I, I've never murdered anybody. Well, Jesus says if you have hated your brother, if you have been angry with your brother or sister, you have committed homicide of the mind. Oh, my. Anybody here in trouble? Anybody besides me? <laughs> Anybody good enough now? See, by making this statement 2,000 years ago, Jesus shattered this illusion 
of the self-righteousness that the scribes and the Pharisees and teachers of the law had. In their day, murder was strictly limited to the physical taking of another person's life. But now Jesus raises the bar to a whole other level. Jesus' statement here makes all of them and makes all of us guilty of murder. I meet people all the time. They say, David, those Ten Commandments are good. I've only broke like three or four of them. I bet in your mind we have broken all ten before it's over. Because who among us has never been angry with another person? I don't know about you, but there have been many times that I have been angry with someone. Now, I, those who know me will tell you very quickly, I'm one of the most mild-mannered guys most of the time that you will ever meet. In fact, I, I defy some of you even recall a time I've been angry. But when I do get angry step back. I remember I got bit by a dog knocking on doors a couple summers ago, trying to invite people to come to church. That guy said, my dog never bites people. I still have the mark on my leg. You know, Paul, the apostle Paul said, I bear on my body the marks of Christ. That's me. I got a little angry that day. I was playing golf a couple years ago, and I, I was playing with some church members, so I had, to, I had to watch my anger. I was playing golf a couple years ago, and I was standing on the tee, and all of a sudden, a golf ball came out of nowhere and dinged me right on the leg. I think it was the same leg I got bit on. There's something wrong over here. And the guy walked up, no yelling of four, no warning, no apology. He just walked up and said, is that my golf ball? <laughs> oh... I looked around to see how many elders are around. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I had a few more things I wanted to say, but I didn't. And I'm still a little upset by that thief. Some say, David, you should get over that. It happened a long time ago. I'm still a little upset by a thief that broke into my car in Bible college back in 1981. <laughs> Behind my apartment. Stole my cassette tapes out of my car. <laughs> they were all Christian music and sermons. I would have loved to see the face of the thief when he popped that in and discovered that. <laughs> when I get to heaven, wouldn't it be cool? A guy say, you know what? You're not going to believe this. I was a thief. I stole stuff, and I stole from his car, and it was a Christian sermon, and I listened to it, and now I'm in heaven. You know, that's the way God works. <laughs> but at the time, I was not a happy camper. So notice it is more about the attitude than the act that Jesus is concerned about. It is the spirit of the law that's more important than the letter of the law. Because Here's why. The law, the letter of the law, they, it can't police the deeper issues of your life which are internal. Friend, we can make laws all day till kingdom come in our country on all kinds of subjects, and it will not change human behavior. Unless the heart changes. Because the problem, the heart of the problem is the problem of the human heart. It is not the outside that we can police all the time. It's the internal. So Jesus is trying to fix, he's trying to address the root of our issues, not the fruit. And murder and hate have been around since the Garden of Eden, and in case you haven't noticed, are still a pretty big problem today. Now there is a difference between holy and and unholy anger. Some of my anger issues, I, I'm justifying as holy anger. 
The scriptures say, in your anger, do not sin. So evidently, there is a time when it's okay to be angry. I'm pretty sure when Jesus was driving the thieves and the people who were ripping people off in the temple out of the temple and turning over tables, I bet you're pretty angry. But it, he, being angry at the right person for the right reason in the right way at the right time is the difference. Jesus here is talking about the kind of anger that is unjustified, unrighteous, likely out of control. People say, well, David, I, I get angry, but it, I'm over it quickly. <laughs> yeah, so is an atomic bomb. But look at the collateral damage that anger causes. Let me just kind of lean into some of your lives a little bit, watching online and in this room. The rage that some of you have, whether it was justified how you got it or not, the rage that some of you have is murdering your family relationships. You're passing on to the next generation how to handle issues, and it's not the right way. Anger in families have divided and cause unbelievable chaos and pain and heartache in families all across our country and even in the family of God. So notice Jesus is not done here. Back to verse 22. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, what is that, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. <laughs> When's the last time you call somebody a fool? You in big trouble. <laughs> it's not the same way you define it. You probably haven't called anybody Raka in a while. Raka or fool was an epitaph commonly used in Jesus' day. It was this term of malicious derision or abuse or disrespect or slander. It was kind of their version of sanctified trash talking, disrespecting someone and actually saying you are a son or daughter of hell. It was sharing that word of condensation with an arrogant and superior attitude that catches the ire and the attention of the Almighty. So Jesus gives a couple of sentences here, and then he uses a significant word. Therefore, this is an important word as we begin verse 23. Therefore, and as I used to hear growing up, if you see a therefore, see what it's there for. <laughs> see, it's so simple, isn't it? So simple. Therefore, if you are offering your gift, here's a conclusion, the therefore means listen up. If you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. I'll, i got to stop here. In other words, I want you to go back and give the gift of forgiveness and reconcile the relationship first, then give your gift of gratitude. Now, this was harder in their day than it is in our day in some ways with the gift. Their gift was harder to leave because in their day, it wasn't like a text to give, <laughs> like in our service, electronic giving, and it's making a huge difference when you give, make no mistake about it. That we can say, I'm just going to put my phone down. I'm going to go back and call this person and meet with this person. In their day, their gift was not electronic. In their day, the gift was an animal, a sheep, a goat. And so he says, when you come into the temple to offer your gift and you realize, uh-oh, I, I, I offended somebody or somebody offended me and we're not reconciled, we're not in good place horizontally, you say, hey, to your neighbor or stranger, Hey, could you hold my calf for 
couple hours? Could you hold my doves here? That's not convenient. See, restoring and reconciling relationships is seldom convenient. It'll never come about unless you pursue it. But boy, how necessary it is. You hear what Jesus is saying here? Jesus here is saying that horizontal reconciliation and relationship on earth, horizontal relationship takes precedent over vertical reconciliation and relationship. In other words, when this is not right here, it's not right up there. Now, when you get this right up here, you ought to get this right down here. It's the only time we can really be separated from God is when we're fussing and fighting with our neighbor and our brother and our sister here on earth. Come on now. Some of us wonder why our prayers are not being heard, why God's not answering. It's because God said, fix this down here first. That's when I know you're legit. If you can't love someone that you see, how can you love your father that you can't see? That's what he's saying. This is further outlined in a passage that we call in our leadership circles, Matthew chapter 18. In fact, some of you have heard that phrase because we've asked you to do this. And all if people would only follow this scripture. So many problems relationally in and out of the church could be solved, could be helped, could be healed. Let me read it to you, Matthew 18. I am asking you to listen to this, and beyond that, I'm asking you to do this. Let me rephrase that. Jesus is asking you to do this. If your brother or sister sins, not just in your family, family of God now, if they sin, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Now, most of the time what happens when somebody messes with you and makes you angry, the last thing you do is go. You sit. You stew. You get angry. You talk about them behind their back. You're mad. You don't want to go. And you know what keeps you from going? Pride. I heard some older people say a long time ago, I never forgot it, anger gets you in trouble and pride keeps you there. How many people know they did wrong, but their pride won't let them go and reconcile? They just can't say, I'm sorry. I was, I messed up. If a brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. And if they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, because sometimes that happens, they won't listen. Take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, let me stop there. In my experience in watching people in relational conflict, when somebody makes you mad, we do just the opposite of this. We go tell everybody what that person did to us. Then it gets down to two or three that know them who hear about it. And then eventually they tell the one person that you should have told to begin with. But now you're coming with a second problem. <laughs> Because you've been talking about them before, and you should have been talking to them and with them. If they won't listen to the, if you can't, if it don't work by yourself, take two or three others that maybe are mutual acquaintances. Now there's a third level. If they refuse to listen to even them, the two or three, hopefully objective people, tell it to the church. Now, <laughs> this has been misapplied in a lot of churches. I think this means the church authority, the church leaders. 
you're, I don't want you getting online and say, well, David said, tell the whole church. That's why we have lawyers and trustees, okay? I don't recommend that. I think it says tell it to the church leaders, the elders, the staff, so they can get involved now because it's now starting to get toxic. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector, which sounds bad, but remember, you still love the pagan. You still love, most of the time, the tax collector. It doesn't mean that you hate them. It means you draw a necessary healthy boundary, and there may be a necessary ending to that relationship for a season. So we are, did you notice the sequence? Go, just the two of you. I'm commanding you in Jesus' name to go do this. Just the two of you. You'd be shocked. Don't let your fear and worry and anxiety, you'd be shocked how welcome it might be. This has been done to me. I, it, it, it is messy. It is painful, but it is so appreciated. I have built up the nerve to go myself to someone who, to someone who's hurt me. And th- if I know that, that's the, that's the hideous nature of, of anonymous letters and notes. How, how do you go back? How, how do you go back and reconcile someone who's anonymous? Do you anonymously reconcile? So at least have the courage to put your name to something so that this reconciliation can begin. So go, one. If that doesn't work, take on a couple other people that maybe know both parties. And if that doesn't work, then you need to come and tell the church leaders because we cannot allow the church to get toxic. We're all drinking from the same water table in this church. And church health is more important to us than church growth. So if we remember an offense, did you catch this? From Matthew 5 and Matthew 18. If you are offering your gift at the altar and you remember you messed up, you did something to somebody, the command is to go. If someone has offended you, hurt you, and by the way, they may not even know. They may not even know they hurt you. Like people come to me and say, David, I can't believe you hurt my feelings. Well, what did I do? Well, you walked right by me and never said hi. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't know. Thank you for telling me. I'll try, I'll, I'll, try, I'll try to do better with that. Sometimes you go and they don't know. But if they have offended you, the command is still the same, go. See, listen, and this is the vision I'm trying to cast in our church here. In a biblically functioning church, in a healthy church, there are always people going and coming constantly all the time. In a church this size, Matthew 18 conversations are happening every day and every week. It's not abnormal. In fact, if I don't hear of it happening, I wonder what are we hiding. It's messy. It's hard. But Matthew 18 has to be a part of our church ecosystem. It has to be a part of your family if you want health to go, if you want health to flow. So this week, (laughs) you have some homework. I don't like homework. You're not going to like his homework. Go to the person who hurt your feelings and say, you hurt me and here's why and I love you. Go to someone who may not even know they have hurt you. If it's me, get, get in line. Get, but if it's me or a staff member or a church member or a member of your family, I'm asking you to pick up the phone and call and text, set a date to have that difficult but necessary conversation. 
Keeping it to yourself is never enough. You'll find that it will revolutionize your relationship. Even if you agree to disagree, you will no longer be disagreeable. Matthew 18 works. Sadly, though, we live in a culture in and outside of the church that follows another pattern. It's the blight of social media. It's posting and not talking. Trust me, I know about this. It's the danger that we talk at people but not with people. And this outrage is normal on our social media. And as a result, we have a whole culture that has learned conflict resolution from angry people on Facebook and Twitter, which isn't conflict resolution at all. It's just venting and ranting. Jesus says here, that a dialogue is more beneficial and biblical than a monologue. Social media, seldom. When's the last time you really wooed an enemy on social media and they said, thank you for telling me that. We're all good. My whole life will change now because of how you said that to me online. I don't even know you. <laughs> if someone can send me that, I'll change this tune. Dialogue, not monologue. So that leads Jesus to say this in verse 25, settle matters quickly. So there's an urgency to this with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown in prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. Verse 25 here is basically a practical application of verse 23 and 24. Jesus uses an illustration, an example that was very common in their day where they would actually imprison a person for an unpaid debt. Instead of meeting, instead of getting together to reconcile, they would just, instead of working it out relationally, they just throw them in jail until the debt could be paid. So Jesus says, if you've got an issue with someone, it would be wise of you to try to resolve it privately before it's known publicly, because then it gets a lot more complicated. He's saying, mend your relational fences quickly. Don't let it stew. Don't let it sour. The time for reconciliation is always now. Tomorrow is too late. Do it today. I have a friend in the church named Jamie. His story really is a reflection of many of the themes that I've been talking about today and that Whitewater is known for every Sunday. If you look at Jamie's life, there's anger, there is alcohol, there is relational disrepair, and I am so proud of Jamie for having the courage to do the right thing. You may have heard of Jamie Schwartz, especially here in politics here on the west side. If you haven't, you likely will. His mom and dad are here this morning and his friend Katie you're going to see on a video is here. I'm so proud of them. And so I'm honored to be able to share through video here a little bit of Jamie's story and I want you to hear it. It is the church working right and I want to talk about not only Jamie but you and what you need to do to be reconciled horizontally and vertically. Check out Jamie's story. 
The reason I got in politics was I was a big pro-life guy. Uh, I remember going to D.C. And, and seeing some of my favorite people, uh, elected members of Congress, speak at a breakfast, and I just I kind of fell in love with the movement. I, I fell, you know, I, it was, this was before any kind of political campaign I was on, but I figured that was a place to actually get something done in this world. So I, I really went into it with the right reasons. My days, you know, wouldn't really get up early because I was probably too hungover from the night before. Uh, I would be at the office late, and then you know I'd be lying to my wife saying I had to stay later, and then I'd, you know, I'd probably go out drinking by myself most nights and just kind of sit there and you know dull the pain with alcohol, and that certainly is no way to live. Like when I started acting that way, I always felt like I would get my way back. I would make the world uh, right by the you know getting this big win. Um, everything would be fine after that, and you know that was just such a lie. So Jamie hired me my first real job out of college um, back in 2008. I didn't like her at all. I thought she gave a terrible interview. I didn't want to hire her. And the only reason we did hire her, and quite frankly, the only reason she got the interview is we thought she was a police, uh, police chief's daughter. That wasn't the case. <laughs> and you know now looking back on it, <laughs> this this 22-year-old uh, Katie who walked in my office for an interview. She wasn't, I really believe, God put her there for a purpose. Jamie is an outgoing guy, he's sharp. Um, but, you know, Jamie always had these intense kind of ups and downs. He, he could be incredibly unreliable sometimes, just off doing his own thing, or he was just on it, um, really super engaged. So after winning in 2010, um, shortly thereafter, I. Uh, started my own political consulting company. Uh, and, you know, at this point I thought I was maybe, you know, in the clear on, you know, some of the things I'd started doing just a little bit. Um, but, you know, a couple years into it, it just, uh, I guess, a pattern of deceit really started to develop in my life. Uh, outside of hiding things from my wife in terms of, you know, my drinking problem and just um, putting work always ahead of her. And, you know, I, I was embezzling money from one of my clients and, you know, what I thought, again, it was, most of it didn't go for me. I have a pretty you know, boring life doing you know, stuff for, to meet payroll and stuff like that. I was really good at politics, terrible at running a business. Jamie had a way of just having these dark circles under his eyes when things were not good and they were definitely present. But he called me and asked me to come and meet him um, which wasn't out of the ordinary, but he said that he wanted to tell me what was going on. And so I immediately was worried, thinking that something maybe was up with his health. But ultimately, he confessed to me um, what had been going on and told me that he was in a lot of trouble, um, going to turn himself in um, to the feds, and that probably going to face jail time and... Um, was awful. I was at a Kinko's um, and I was making copies of some fraudulent activity, we'll just say, was going on. And I, this was the first Saturday or first time ever that I missed my son play soccer. And I was doing it because I had to cover up some of my stuff. And I'll never forget this woman next to me. She couldn't, she didn't know how to use a, a copying machine. And she kept asking me for help. And I just exploded on her. And um, I'll never forget the look in her eyes. And it was like I could see m myself through her eyes and who she was looking at. And I just could not believe who I'd become. And uh, that was the exact moment where I stopped. I 
but stopped everything I was doing wrong, walked out, and was like, I'm gonna turn myself in. I can't continue this anymore. And that really was the, the beginning, the turning point of my life where I just, I'd had enough. I know deep down somewhere there's a good person in here and you know, we're gonna find him again. At that time he lived on the east side and when all of this happened, he told me that he was going to be moving in with his family on the west side. And so I said, well, seems like good a time as any for you to start coming to church with me. And I remember as clear as day, he laughed and said, I'm about the last person that God wants to see coming to church. After that initial conversation with Katie, I, you know, I turned myself into the feds, news is all over me. It's like, you know, being hounded by the press trying to find me was just not a fun spot to be in. And I felt really isolated. And Katie called me uh, one Sunday. You guys, I think had just started doing your uh, series on Jonah uh, and running from God. And like in true Katie form, she's like, you know, I had mentioned previously, like she was put in my life, you know, 12 years ago to be there for me at this moment. She shined in, in my moment of need. She called me up and said, there's a series in church. You have to promise me you'll come next week and give it a try. And I just remember being in the seats, just crying next to my husband and my parents, like thinking God is literally talking to Jamie. He came and the, the first time that I got to stand next to him at a service, um, the sermon was about the prodigal son and he grew up Catholic and told me afterwards that, um, you know, what a, what a cool thing that people during his hardest, darkest time would not turn from him, but be reaching out to him. And so many people at church too, that were hearing his story and reaching out to him and just, there for him as he was going through this. I'll never forget our first huddle meeting. So the guys walk in, they don't know each other, right? So we, we everybody meets each other and we sit down and I start talking about, hey, we're gonna go on this 30 week journey of we're gonna read the Bible, we're gonna do some talking. And uh, so I gave Jamie the Bible, the huddle Bible, and he opens it and literally he says, <laughs> he looks up at me he looks back at the Bible and he looks at all the guys and he goes, I don't know what the hell I'm gonna get out of this. <laughs> and, and all the guys laughed and I think he wasn't alone. <laughs> it was a great experience, you know, going through, reading the Bible together, uh, talking about, you know, how we felt about it and just kind of growing as a group and growing as men in faith was uh, something I never thought I would do in my wildest dreams. And yeah, I'm waking up, you know, at six in the morning to go meet these guys for breakfast and talk about this stuff, it was great. He showed up, he did the reading, uh, and then he came back the next week and we were talking about it. And uh, he opened up the Bible, the huddle Bible that I gave him and he said, hey, I, I wanna show you guys something. Uh, I didn't know what in the world I was getting myself into, but Jesus said that he came to seek and to save the lost. And that's me. Yeah, he went all in, um, I think January 2nd of last year, um, the, the, I think Thursday night all in um, that we had at church and it was incredible. It was so cool. I'll never for, forgive David for this. He, he stops, he's bringing people in the pool. There are probably like 20 of us and he singles me out in there and starts saying, this guy's done a lot of bad things in his life in front of everybody. And I'm still new to this, you know, turning myself in and turning my life around thing. And, it literally felt like 
just the washing away of the old Jamie and just every conversation I have with him now he he's talking to me about what God is doing in his life and it's almost shocking because it's like here's this guy that I've known for a big long portion of my life and he's just a completely different person it's it's beautiful my my purpose in life is to help people that were in my situation that were they're they're doing something that they shouldn't be doing it's wrong it's illegal whatever they're thinking that they there is a way out um, and that way out is through Jesus it's time for me to give back and be there for somebody who who might be going through something similar that I was going through and you know be that hand that lifts them up like Katie was for me um, like my parents were and have, continue to be for me and like this church was for me There's nothing like the church when it's working right, friend. It's all about relationships. And I'll tell you this, you never know what's going on in somebody's heart when they're in the water. You, you never know the story that will be told. There is a broken heart and a need in every seat in this room and every seat watching online. So Jamie went all in in 2020. I was his stride partner. Stride is our next step program that our team also is ready to provide for any of you that went all in. And I can tell you after talking to Jamie, he, he's not who he wants to be, but he's not who he used to be. It's not the same Jamie. He's now a difference maker for Jesus. Using some of those same skill sets that got him so, so much political success and trouble, now using some of those same skill sets to make Jesus famous. So I ask you to pray for Jamie. We've noticed a trend among our church family because we tell a lot of stories. When someone is featured on the screen or on this stage, the devil doubles down on them. So there is still a sifting to be done, and the devil would like nothing more than to take Jamie out again. Because his struggles are still real. They're going to be on full display in the media probably. But so is the grace of God that covers his disgrace. And his mom and dad are in my small group. And I know the days they have prayed for him. And I'm so proud of Katie and Patrick and all the folks who have encouraged Jamie along this way. And now Jamie is encouraging others with his story, which is not quite yet done. Maybe you watched uh, Jamie's story and today you want a new beginning. Or you watch those folks that went all in last weekend and you say, you know what, I'm ready to go now. So we're going to close out our service with one more song in just a moment. Some folks will start to stroll down here to pray with you, for you, answer questions you may have, to talk to you if you want to Go all in today. We'll do that right after the service, or we'll schedule it any day you want. I already hear of baptisms getting scheduled in days and weeks to come. But we want this song to be another opportunity to invite you, like Jamie, to turn to reconciliation with God. You can be reconciled to God. Someone said that the beams of the cross vertically and horizontally are really the ultimate symbol of vertical and horizontal reconciliation. Jesus' hands were stretched far and wide to bring in the whole world. 
And only he could go from heaven to earth vertically to make a horizontal difference between God and man. Vertical and horizontal, vertical and horizontal. That's exactly what the Christian life is all about. And Jamie nailed it so well. He said, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. So I'm going to have you stand right now. All over this room, I invite you to stand online. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing that one last song. I'm going to come down with our decision team and maybe there's another Jamie here. So I'd ask you to pray for Jamie. I'd ask you to pray for those who still yet to come. I'd ask you to pray for those who have already gone all in because they're under the gun of the evil one. When you get Jesus in your heart, you get a target on your back. And we want to lift up those people. But more importantly, I'm going to pray for you as you follow this scripture of Matthew 18 this week. That God would give you the courage to say what has to be said to get that reconciliation on heaven and on earth. Father, we come to you now and we thank you in Jesus' name for Jamie Swartz and his story and those that made that possible. We are grateful more than that, Father, for Jesus who made grace and reconciliation, heavenly reconciliation possible. So God, uh, as we now move into place and we offer this simple song of invitation, I pray for anyone in this room who is just feeling the nudge and urge of the Spirit to go all in with their faith. They watched it last week, but they're going to be that person this week. I pray for them. And I pray, God, for all of these conversations that are really never enough. Because, God, uh, the devil will tempt us and distract us into not doing what you clearly are prompting us to do right now. So I rebuke him. May he be far away. And may you be near. And may we, Father, be people who follow Jesus' words and follow the New Testament. Thank you for what we have been able to see today, experience today. Remind us, God, that we are not alone. The battle belongs to the Lord. And we trust in you, in Christ's name. Amen.